one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay i want to speak on a chapter tonight that i've been memorizing on the last journey that i made as you might have heard me say i'm the kind of fellow that has to have some discipline if i just leave it up to you know sometime won't ever do it so i i, I left on the trip and i said now I'm going to sign you the 10th chapter book of Romans and you'll have to memorize it and know it before you get back home. And so the day I was coming back home, I managed to quote all of it. And so I managed to make the goal. Amen. And uh, I like to memorize it by the chapter. There's only one better way to memorize the Bible than by the chapter and that's by the book. I thought I heard some of you snigger a little bit out there. Listen. If you want to get a real blessing, you memorize the book of Ephesians or Colossians or Philippians. I mean, you memorize one of those books and then see what it means to you. And now, I'm going to preach on this chapter tonight for the first time since I memorized this entire chapter. And uh, I believe that it means more to me than it ever did. Now, the Bible says, and I believe it's so, thy word if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Now, that would stop juvenile delinquency, but it would also start, stop adult delinquency. Yeah. Now, there's not one thing. Now, you'd say, well, what, what's made so many children become juvenile delinquents? Well, if you read in this book, they're born like that. I tell you what, actually, you know what the cause of juvenile delinquency is? It's human parentage. I mean, just everything that's born of a human being is born delinquent. He didn't get delinquent after he was born. He just got worse. He was born delinquent. And the Bible said, as soon as I was born, I went astray telling lies. It's Romans chapter 10. But I'd like to call your attention to two other great passages that couple well and go well uh, with this great 10th chapter of the gospel of Romans. And here it is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22, Paul said, to the weak I became as weak that I might gain the weak. He said, I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And you know, that little word some is a great challenge to anybody. Now, the Lord didn't tell us anywhere in the book we're going to get all of them, but it's sure worth a lot to get some of them. And the Lord continues to give us some all the time. The Lord gives us some preachers every year. He gives us some souls every year. And where will we go? I know the other night I landed over in uh, Fresno, California, and when the service was done, there was 12 precious souls that had come to Christ. And all of them were grown people. But 12 of them, just in a week, night, only one night, were we there. And yet, 
Twelve people made professions of faith in that service. Now, that's some of many. That wasn't all of them, because there's people there from everywhere, but we got some of them. Now, Paul said, I'm willing to be made all things to all men that it might by all means save some of them. Now, preachers, you have no right to settle for less than some. And to me, it's such a tragedy if anybody reports none. That's unscriptural. If any church says we didn't win anybody to the Lord, you didn't do what Paul said he's willing to do. I've never known of anybody yet that would be willing to make all, be made all things to all men that they might win some, but what they won some. Paul was in jail at midnight, but he won some. He was in the jail at Rome, but he won some. And he said, uh, I bring you greetings, especially from Caesar's household. Bring what happened to Caesar's household. I tell you what, uh, Paul happened to him. <laughs> and wherever he went, Christ happened to him. And they got saved. And so he's, he was sending Christian greetings from the official family over in Rome because he dared to live like a Christian. And some of them got saved. Now then, I want you to turn with me to the ninth chapter, and that leads us up to the tenth chapter of the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 9. Now, I almost hesitate every time to read these verses because if there's any part of the Bible that I have never really come to the place where I can say, now that's me, this would be it right here. Now, there's just so many places I fall short. I know that. And I don't have the compassion and the love that I ought to have. But listen, I'll tell you one thing. I never have come to the place where I'd be willing to give up heaven and go to hell. I mean, that to me is about all I got left. I mean, uh, the more I live down here, the more I don't fit. I just been on a commercial airline. I don't fit on that thing. I mean, they asked me if I wanted liquor, and I said no. They said, do you want some sausage? I said, no. Do you want some Coca-Cola? I said, no, thank you. And do you want some uh, cigarette? I said, no. And they said, well, what do you want? See? <laughs> Little hostess said, I tell you, I never saw anybody that I couldn't just serve anything. I said, well, if you will, please. I mean, excuse me, but I'm memorizing a chapter in the Bible, and my Bible's in my suitcase, and I checked the one it's in, and if you'd bring me a Bible, she said, I'm sorry, we don't have a Bible. I just don't fit on an outfit like that. And it's not because I'm sprouting any wings or feeling self-righteous, but I'm telling you the truth. When you get on a flying bar room, 39,000 feet in the air, and when you're going 650 miles an hour, and you haven't got a Bible, and nobody's willing to pray, and there wasn't any Christian music or prayer, I don't fit on that thing. Amen. And I'm not figuring on getting adjusted in the way soon. Amen. <laughs> And I'll tell you one thing, boys, you might as well make up your mind. You can tell Mr. Braniff and Mr. American and, and uh, Mr. Delta, just tell them all that that last flight that we're going to take, there won't be no cigarette smoking and there won't be no liquor drinking and there won't be no cussing and there'll be nothing out of order and we won't even be in an airplane. Amen. What I'm trying to say is this. Christians, you lose out when you get adjusted to living down here. That's reading some people when they find out they're going to die. They just cry and cry and cry. 
Went to see a man dying in the hospital. He's a young man, full of the devil and sin, burn up his life with cigarettes and heart trouble and making money and worried and upset and nervous and fretful and shot himself with his own pistol and he cried like a baby and said, I'm dying. I said, well, maybe you wouldn't have to die. Well, he said, what do you mean? He said, I got a heart attack. I said, I know. I said, maybe if you'd start living for the Lord, the Lord could spare you. Well, he said, I've worked hard all my life, and I've got money, and I'm not going to get a chance to spend it. I said, well, if you're, if you're saving it to keep, you work for the wrong reason. The Bible said we're to work with these hands that we might have something to give to them that have need. God didn't tell anybody to work to keep something. The Bible said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You know how it is? One of the secrets of it is to read and believe what he said in the Sermon on the Mount when he, he gave us the blessitudes of the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor. Well, nobody wants to be like that. Flesh wants to be proud. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of proud flesh? <laughs> That's right. And uh, so most people are so full of vanity and pride and we don't have any compassion or no concern for anybody else. We're trying to get our house paid for and our savings built up and about the time we make it, off we go to meet God to give an account for an empty life and for a wasted life. Used to sing an old song. Must I go an empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul with quits to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? There can have any people if you died tonight. You'd have some precious soul that you could present to the Father and said, Lord, I brought you a present home with me. Or I got some more down now. They'll be on after a while. I won this man to the Lord. And do you have real compassion? I'm leading up to the subject tonight. Paul said I could wish myself a curse from Christ. I tell you, that's, that's the greatest compassion I've ever read about. Amen. I mean, there's nothing that'll compare with that except Jesus. Amen. He said I could wish myself accursed from Christ. And he starts that chapter off by saying, I'm telling you the truth. Whereabouts? In Christ. I'm telling you the truth in Christ. Well, of course, that's where he lived. He said, for me to live is Christ. If he talked, he talked in Christ. If he walked, he walked in Christ. If he prayed, he prayed in Christ. And everything he did, he did in Christ. Amen. Jesus said, in me, you live and move and have you been. And then he said, the in him all things hold together. And he said, in him, you're complete. Everything out of Christ is incomplete. That's reading the cities today are incomplete. They're out of Christ. Amen. Reading the average home is incomplete today. Yes. Somebody said, well, don't you think if you have a wife? I've heard people say, well, you know, I believe if he'd get married and settle down, it'd sort of solve his problems. No, he better settle up first Amen. or he'll never settle down. Amen. Amen. Yes, there was a time on earth when in the book of heaven an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top and many things below. I went unto the keeper and I said long ago, long ago, down on my knees. Long ago I settled it all. Well, that old account was set long ago and my record's all clear today, for he washed my sins away. And the old account was set long ago. Yes. Dear friends, we're going to have to settle with him. 
sins against God. It's not primarily against man. Now then, he said, I, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. I'm not telling the lie. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Notice, he said, I speak the truth in Christ, and my conscience is in the Holy Ghost. Amen. <laughs> He's in Christ, and his conscience is being cared for. Let me ask you a question. Are you having any trouble with your conscience? You know, people used to say, well, you sure can't go by your conscience. Conscience misleads you, you know. I want to ask you a question you probably can't answer. If you can't go by your conscience, what are you going by? I believe that's that little inside heavenly monitor that God put on you. Amen. Oh, but you'd say, well, uh, is your conscience a safe guide? They're not any other guide. i tell you where we've missed, and that's with your moral judgment. Your conscience always says one thing, you better do right. Amen. You better do right. You better do right. This is right, and you better stay with right. And the conscience always, but wait a minute, when the moral judgment comes along and says, well, this is right, when it's wrong, then your conscience, see, is not to blame. And dear friends, I tell you what's happening. Now, you can call this what you want to call it. It may be a lack of conviction, but it's built on a lack of real spiritual enlightenment. And if our preachers don't stand on their hind legs and tell the church members Sunday morning, because that's the only time a bunch of them ever come in anyhow, and I wouldn't give you a dime for your religion that wouldn't bring you back on Sunday night. Amen. You sit in front of that nasty one-eyed idiot called television on Sunday night, I doubt if you've been saved very good. Amen. Now, you knew when you came I was going to say that, didn't you? Amen. So don't say, you, I got surprised. You didn't get surprised. Now, dear friends, it's just either you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Amen. And you're not going to ever have the burden I'm talking about for souls and winning the body to Christ until you get a divorce from the devil, the flesh, and the world. Amen. Make up your mind. So I have heaviness. I'm heavy-hearted. I got continual sorrow. I mean, Paul lived in tears. His face was bathed with tears. Where he said, I weep day and night, just day and night. One place he said, I wept for three years. He had a crying spell that lasted three years. You think of that. And then you wonder why he's a soul winner. I tell you why he's a soul winner. He watered all the soil he, he cultivated with his own tears. We were singing a song a while ago, and I always think of the little old preacher that came to town. Nobody really wanted him. Stuck up a little canvas top, said, I'm going to preach a meeting and knock on every door in this town. And said, when I leave here, there won't be one home that hadn't had a witness that Jesus Christ died for sinners and rose again according to the Scriptures. And said, I'll knock on every door. And, well, that word began to get out, and one of the rather sophisticated uh, ladies said, uh, let him knock on my door. <laughs> I'll slam it in his face. And so one day... He got around to her door, and he knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, and it played a bunch of tunes, and she came stepping to the door. Said, lady, I'm an evangelist, and I've got a little old tent stretched, and I want to talk to you about the Lord. And when he said that, she kept her promise. She slammed that door in his face and went up the stairs, and the preacher sat down on her front steps for just a minute 
And she got upstairs and looked at him, and tears was rolling. And he sang that last stanza, but drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Amen. And got up and walked down the sidewalk into the next door and kept on a going. A few nights later, a lady came down the aisle in that old simple canvas top tent and said, Preacher, it was those drops of grief that got me. I saw you sit on my steps and tears roll down your cheeks. That's the first person I ever saw in my life that wept over my spiritual condition. And I couldn't shake loose from what I saw. You'd say, do you believe tears saved? No, sir, I don't. You believe that prayer saved? No, sir. You believe that faith saved? No, I believe the blood saved. But I tell you what, when you get plunged and washed in the blood, I believe you'll have enough care and concern that you will a lot of times have tears. I believe that we're the driest cheek generation that ever lived. Would you let me make one more statement? If I'm right, it's tragic. If I'm wrong, I'd be surprised. My prediction is there's been 100 times more tears shed in front of the make-believe instrument called television than there has in the church house the last 20 years. Amen. Women, while their husbands have gone to work, are watching those little silly outfits, either Bill's other wife or somebody's other wife or nobody's wife, and there they go. I got a letter from a woman, and she said, Brother Olaf, I, I got sick. I got sick unto death. My husband said there's something seriously wrong. She said, listen, I got so involved in that movie in the afternoon, and when that thing turned out bad, she said, I wept for days. She said, I couldn't do my housework. I couldn't fix a meal. It nearly drove. You see, I put myself in the place of the woman, and she got the worst end of it, and then I like to die. <laughs> I tell you what, they can make it awful real, can't they? Yeah. See, I got a keen imagination anyhow, and if I watch that junk, I, I believe it'd stay with me. I believe it'd be just about like a needle sticking in me. I don't believe I'd ever get it out. And dear friend, don't you think it's not doing the damage? It's ruined the minds of this generation. You asked the psychiatrist, the big psychiatrist, he said the other day, he said, the uh, we're now reaping our first generation of viewers of Hollywood. And he said, we've got the minds that are gone bad. He don't call them reprobate. He just said that minds are disturbed. And you wait till in 20 more years, if we live that long. I mean, if this thing rolls on, you wait. It's going to be more dangerous than you've ever. I've said this for many years. Violence is going to literally cover the face of the earth. We used to have pirates out on the sea, didn't we? You read about the old pirates, you know? Of course, down in Corpus Christi, we have buccaneer days once a year. When they, they come in, a bunch of old fellas with the eye blacked out, you know, and old peg legs, and they come in with, and they, they take over the city. They rob, they get, I mean, they get the keys of the city, and they, they get all the carnivals and all the filth and all the trash and, and uh, everything in the world, dopeheads and alcoholics, and they put on that thing for two weeks. House rent's not paid. They, they aren't able to play the utilities. That's what everybody said, the business people, see. And so they, they, but they're putting on the old pirate days again. They're memorializing the most devilish things that ever was on the high seas, you see. They come in on some old ship and get off and run and hoot and holler and shoot guns and take over, see, in a civilized city. 
you'd say, well, I tell you, Brother Wolf, we're certainly not living in the days of the pirates. Is that so? They've just taken to the heirs all. Boy, they, 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 listen, boy, they just capture a flying ship now. That's right, land in Rome, you know, walk off, get away, got a gun, shoot a hole through the top of the airplane or something, you know, and said, okay, and get me some new pilots. If you boys can't fly across the creek, get me some that can, and so forth. And so here they come, and I mean, there they are, see? And they, they want to go down, you know, uh, to over here where Castro is. They just get the whole plane, all the passengers, and said, we're going to run over here and take a little trip. Pirates! Amen. Getting more violent all the time. Right. More violent all the time. Dear friends, old human nature is more rotten than it's ever been because it's so far away from God. Amen. And you know what we've been trying to do? We've been trying to polish and simonize and uh, shape it up a little on the outside. And we've gotten busy, you know. Just trying to tell you, boy, if I were you, and we ought, as Christians, we ought to get more interested in putting a new man in an old suit than we are putting a new suit on an old man. Because I tell you what we're going to do. We're not going to help the old man, and we're about to run out of new suits. Brother, well, I tell you, I was flying along today, and my wife gave me a, an article about the hospital deal. I tell you, that'd scare anybody to death if they figured on going to the hospital. I think we're going to have to make up our mind, really. We just must make up our mind, dear friends, that we better live and die at home. I never read such an article in my life. They've been making an investigation on this thing, and you talk about some racketeers. We're in it. Medicare and uh, all this other stuff, you know, that's come up. And now then, isn't it strange that after you pay all your hospitalization money out, maybe you got two policies, you still got to pay the bill when that's over. That's where we're going. Now, are you ready for the text? He said, I have great heaviness and continuous sorrow in my heart. I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I could be willing, I am willing, he said, to be separated from Christ. Now, folks, that's carried me further than any verse that's ever carried me. I believe this is what he means. I'm willing to let the Holy Spirit take his seal off of my soul. I'm willing to look up in heaven and see heaven's secretary. Take a blotter or an eraser and erase my name from the Lamb's book of life. And I'm willing to walk into the screaming corridors of hell and stay there forever. Never see Jesus, whom I love, and that I met on the Damascus Road. I'm willing to take my place in hell with every dirty unbeliever, with every blasphemer, with every drunkard, with every murderer, I mean with every homosexual and with every dirty sinner that ever lived, I'll take my lot with him forever if I could get my kinfolk win one to cry. Now, boys, that's soul winning compassion. Amen. I'm asking you tonight, have you ha ever had a feeling akin to that? Now then, go with me to the 10th chapter. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, not educated or join the church or baptized, but I want them to get saved. My heart's desire and prayer. Now, let me ask you this. You see what he said? My heart's desire, my prayer to God. I'm praying about my heart's desire. 
I'm talking to God about what I desire in my heart. And the Bible said, delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, he said, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant. And here's where we are today. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God for, and this is it, Christ is the end. People talk about I'm scared of the end. Well, Jesus is the end. And somebody said, well, I dread the beginning. Well, he's the beginning. Somebody said life begins at 40. No, life begins at the beginning. And Jesus is the beginning. I mean, let's get it straight. I mean, you can't live. You're not living. You're just existing. You'd say, well, uh, I don't smoke and I don't drink. And, well, neither does a fence post. <laughs> but it doesn't make a Christian out of it. And you say you're not changing your convictions, not a bit, but it just takes a lot more than a bunch of don'ts to make a man a Christian man, see? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and evidently he must have been a pretty good fellow, but Jesus said, you know, you, you're interested in miracles, aren't you? And Nicodemus said, yes, sir. I came a long ways to talk with you about the miracles. And I'm sure that God's with you too. Well, he said, I'll tell you what, and he didn't put in these words, but I believe he meant this. Nicodemus, I tell you what let's do. If you let me perform a miracle on you, you'll understand my miracles. And he said, on me? Yeah, he said, what kind? He said, the new birth miracle. He said, when I, you see, he said, you're down here on this shelf and I'm up here on this one. That's a natural shelf and this is a supernatural. And you're sitting down on the natural shelf trying to explain the supernatural. And if I explained it, you wouldn't understand it until I can perform one on you. That's exactly what I'm talking about. He said, you must be born again. And uh, Nicodemus said, looks to me like it's a little late. I mean, how can I? And that's the human flesh crying for you. And why Jesus said that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Suppose you did go to your mother and you got her to give you another birth and you got a new start. It'd just be too lost. Nicodemus is running to me saying, what about those miracles? You know, I, I just keep saying and keep thinking. And uh, this has been the year, you know, when man feels like he's made his greatest accomplishment by just putting his feet on the moon. I mean, we've been hearing about that for a long time. They've been striving, planning, writing, digging, staying up, building, spending money by the billions of dollars, and finally, 1969. And people say, isn't that wonderful that the students in our schools today could just look on television and see a man's footprints on the moon? Yeah, but now, let's be, let's be just honest about it, honey child. Just what did they get done at the moon? And let me say, just what did the moon do for us? Brother, it's not moonshine when it is sunshine. <laughs> and really, when I say sunshine, I mean S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E. Wouldn't it be a sight if America got as interested in going to the sun as she did in going to the moon? 
I just wish that I could have been on the radio or even on television while everybody was a staring and a looking and I was a preaching the gospel all the time about the sun instead of the moon. Amen. I bind you, we'd had a flock of people saved. Amen. Of course, I know old Madeline Murray O'Hare that pulled her hair. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a sight? Did you ever dream that the day had come in America where people would be scared to be caught with the Bible. I mean, did you know that the average Christian is afraid to have a Bible? I've seen preachers get up in the pulpit, you know, and, and he had something in his hand about that big. He said, would you turn, please, in your Bible? I said, well, where's yours? <laughs> and he had a little bitty outfit about that big, and he was squinching his eyes and trying to look at something, see? Brother, I just believe we ought to get a whole Bible. Amen. Just, I don't know why, just like on the, on the plane. I said, honey, you mean there's not a Bible on this plane? I said, I'm not fussing. I said, what if one of them wings fell off? <laughs> I said, what if them big three motors or big old four motors, and, and we skipped them through the door? I said, what if all of them things just quit all of a sudden? I said, everybody didn't be, a oh, God, God say, why, didn't even have his book with us. Didn't even have the directions. But you know what's wrong? You might as well get it straight. The Bible doesn't fit on a commercial airliner. She don't fit in with all that junk that's going on. Do you ever see a Bible in on a liquor store counter? I didn't think. Have you ever seen a woman saying, listen, there's the old book. While I go get your quarter of poison, you read a chapter. Man, if you read much of it, you wouldn't take it home with you, would you? The, huh? Christians, I mean real born-again Christians, do not drink liquor. Amen. You just put her down. I wouldn't give you one cent for your cocktail-sipping testimony. You don't have one for God. And I hear people say sometimes that kind of get slipped up on said, well, my pastor doesn't preach like that. I believe I'd change pastors if I were you. I mean, I don't think it'd cost you much. Just walk out and don't ever go back anymore. You'd say, that's what gets you in trouble, yeah, but when I get home to heaven, you'll find that's what got me out of trouble, too. You'd say, that's what hurts some of your friends, not the right kind of friends, boys. The 10th chapter said, I tell you, I wish that they'd come and believe on the Lord. But he said, they, uh, they, they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. That's Jesus. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart. Who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. I've heard a lot of strange things about people getting saved, but this is it right here. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, and these are the two things. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He rose again according to the Scriptures. He said, you'll get saved. Amen. 
For the, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, here it is, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Mouth ought to testify what's happened to the heart. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, to me, that verse lived again, or for the first time, I think it really lived. He said, the same Lord over all is rich. And yet the Bible said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be come rich. He said, our Lord is rich unto all that do what? Call upon him. Amen. You know, if I were to preach a message on how to strike it rich, I'd... Uh, just tell you to come to Jesus. Amen. That's it. He's Lord. The Bible said he's uh, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Did you call on him? Have you ever really called on the Lord? I know this is a simple message, but I believe that today in the midst of unregenerated membership of our churches, we need to just know that if you've never called on the name of the Lord. You know, people talk about praying. I believe that prayer is the native breath of the Christian. Let me ask you something. If you were going down in the boat, would you call? If you had a radio, would you call? If you're flying along in a plane and, and the plane goes haywire, you say a little word which uh, you better not say unless you mean it. Mayday! That means she's all over. I'm going down. And everything in the flight service immediately turns their, uh, their attention to you. They leave everybody else alone. They say, uh, what, what's your location? And they give you a number and, and tell me where you are. And we'll have a searching squad for you immediately. See? Now to me, I believe a sinner, when he gets under real conviction and really wants to be saved more than he wants anything else, uh, in a sense, he hollers mayday. And everything in heaven turns its eyes in his direction. Amen. In other words, he said, I'm, I'm going down. And like an eagle, like a mother eagle, they swooped down under that old sinner, like Jesus did under the man on the cross. He hollered May Day. Amen. Yeah. Boy, oh, I tell you, that old boy in the jailhouse about midnight hollered May Day. Paul said, do thyself no harm. Don't cut any further. <laughs> oh, listen, you don't, need your, you, you don't need your throat cut. You need your heart cut. I mean, we'll do the heart surgery. Come on. Wasn't very long till he's eating breakfast with him, wasn't he? And he said, tell my wife what you told me. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's right. When a man gets saved, you know one of the reasons, one of the ways you can tell when a person's saved, he wants somebody else saved. Amen. You know, I can say this, since I really got right with the Lord, even though I've been guilty in the past, I've never told another man or woman or boy or girl to go to hell. I never have. Just like I've said before, people, they just have a way of saying, oh my goodness. Huh? Well, excuse me, please, but you don't have any. I mean, that's, that's arrogance and egotism. Won't you holler my badness? But you see, you know what goodness is? That's Jesus. He's my goodness. This old world has forgotten how to talk and how to honor the Lord. 
Then he, he raised the question. He said, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord, whosoever believeth upon the name of the Lord, shall not be ashamed, for there's no difference. For he said, the same Lord, oh well, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he raises a bunch of questions. Number one, how shall they call on him in whom they've not heard? In whom they've not believed, how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And how, notice, how beautiful, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of what? Mm-hmm. But you see, we run out of the gospel. Then we run out of peace. When America quit praying, she quit winning wars. When she quit living right, listen, America has never won a war since she legalized liquor. I mean, really won a war. There's never been a war won. I mean, we've never had complete victory. You know that? We'll never have victory again in this country. And my prediction is that our soil will be invaded by the foreign enemy before this thing's all over. Of course, I kind of have a feeling I'll be gone. Because according to the Bible, and this is according to the the, uh, the, the the political setup, I mean, if this thing comes to it, it may come any minute. I mean, it may come any minute. And, and they, they've got all the wires strung. They've got all the telephone set. They've got all the ammunition. They've got all their guided and misguided missiles, all of them set. They've got everything right now that within 24 minutes, I mean, we've got everything set right down here at Shreveport, Louisiana right now that all he's got to do, just pick up his phone and said, all right, boys, let them have it. Now, of course, if they do it before we do... Uh, that could turn the old horse around, couldn't it? Amen. And let me tell you something else. Don't you underestimate the importance of earthly life for an infidel because that's all he's got. I've had people ask me, say, well, Brother Olaf, what if you were preaching, you know? And you've heard my answer. What if you were preaching and they just dropped one of those missiles and they could do it? We are told that they could drop it right in the middle of this pulpit right now and not miss it three inches. And people have looked at me like they thought, well, oh, that'll scare him, scare him. <laughs> My brother, I could ride that thing without spurs all the way to glory. <laughs> I mean, that, listen, you'd say, I'd stop, stop nothing. That'd start everything for me. <laughs> brother, that's our blessed hope. What are we scared of? Amen. Oh, how sweet to walk. In this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms, oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms, sing it, leaning, I'm leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Well, I'm leaning on Jesus, just leaning on Jesus. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. And what have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning everlasting on. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arm, saying, leaning, I'm leaning. Yes, 
place, that's a good place to lean. From all up along, well, I'm leaning on Jesus Christ, my Savior, leaning on the everlasting Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff.